Welcome to the podcast of Fairmount Presbyterian Church in Cleveland Heights, Ohio, where we feature our worship sermons. Listen again to past sermons from home, when you are traveling, or wherever you are. Listen in if you need a moment of reflection, inspiration, and love. All rivers appear on a map. The Tigris and the Euphrates are the two great rivers of Mesopotamia in modern-day Iraq. Gihon is a spring in Jerusalem, but is most certainly not a river. Ancient Jewish historian Josephus thought it might refer to the Nile and the Pishon. No one knows for sure, though James Sauer, former curator of the Harvard Semitic Museum, made an argument from geology and history that Pishon, referred to in Genesis, referred to what is now the Wadi Bisha a dry channel beginning in the Hajiz Mountains near Medina and running northeast to Kuwait. The source of the four headwaters of Eden has never been found and perhaps was never meant to be. This biblical origin story is a theological story about the relationship between God and humanity and the stuff of earth. Yet the pursuit of Eden still goes on in the scientific world, and back in 2018, a well-regarded study came out that traced the ancestral homeland of humanity back to a region south of the Zambezi River in northern Botswana, once a luscious green area bordering enormous lakes. The study purported to answer this question, where do we come from? Today we start a sermon series around the theme, I've been meaning to ask. And we begin with the question, where are you from? In the endless challenge of becoming beloved community to one another, sometimes it is those basic questions that are the most overlooked. After this long span of social distance, we have experienced We may be out of practice in approaching one another with curiosity and interest. How do we have the courageous conversations we need to reestablish relationship and trust? Where are you from is a good place to start. Yet the question can sometimes feel loaded, can't it? If we treat others as outsiders who don't belong, assuming that because they look or speak differently than we then we can make them feel like strangers with that question. But if we ask with the spirit of curiosity, seeking to connect with someone on a deeper level, we will find common ground. A friend recently found herself on a long cab ride and asked this question in a spirit of humility and heard in return a tender story from her Ethiopian driver who was orphaned at 15 and lost his hand at 17 to gangrene. And though she has plenty of struggles of her own, the encounter changed her and made her see her life through a different and more grateful lens. Where are you from? Tell me about all your places. Sense of place is something we don't recognize until we feel it in certain landscapes, with certain plants and animals and climate, but also from our 
history and the legends of our peoples and spiritual beliefs and music and architecture. In childhood, something called primal landscape developed as a first impression of this sense of place. And social scientists tell us it becomes part of our identity and a baseline for later experiences. And that those who move away from their home region often experience this longing for their primal landscape, be it mountains or deserts or forests or vast meadows. And that child's primal landscape endures into adulthood as a source of spiritual nourishment and nostalgia and comfort. It's been said if you don't know where you are, you probably don't know who you are which is a challenge for those of us like myself with directional handicaps. So often I don't know where I am. Too often I use my GPS to tell me where I am instead of my intuition and my senses and my internal compass. But for most of human civilization, survival depended on knowing where you are. The local plants, the creatures, the lands, the waters. But on any given day in the United States today, it's possible to drink coffee from Guatemala while wearing clothes made in Bangladesh while sheltered under a roof partly manufactured in China. Today, the average U.S. adult devotes approximately 10 hours a day to consuming media, spends 87% of their time indoors, and passes another 6% inside a vehicle. So it takes that intentional effort to connect with our local, human, and ecological community. And here is where the wisdom of our indigenous siblings can help. One of the tribes which originally called the Great Lakes region home are the, I want to say this right, Potawatomi people. Caitlin Curtis, author of the book Natives, both Potawatomi and this is the book that the Presbyterian Church has asked us all to read this year and next. And in it, she shares what it means to experience her faith through her lens of indigenous heritage and encourages us to embrace our own origins. She tells about the origin story of her own people, which begins with Sky Woman falling down from Sky World through a hole in the sky. And the animals see the shaft of light from the hole, and the Sky Woman is falling toward the water. And as she falls, she grasps bundles of seeds and roots in her hand from the tree of life. And her fall is broken by a flock of geese who hold her up on their wings until they can decide what to do next. And far below, a giant turtle offers to let her rest on his back. The animals can see she needs land to live on, so with the help of Mud is retrieved from the bottom of the water so that land can be built on the turtle's back. And Sky Woman is so grateful for the help of the animals, she begins dancing her thanks. And as she dances, the land spreads all across the turtle's back, and she plants the seeds in her new home, and soon plants and trees and all manner of living things grow. And that collective effort of geese and sky women and the turtle and the animals in the riverbed brought about life on Turtle Island. And this is why many Native people call North America Turtle Island, 
It's a story of reciprocity and connectedness of people, animals, and land coming together. So she works to tell the stories that call people to work for peace and restoration, including having an understanding of our past, even when she speaks of how far too, for far too long Native American children were forced to live away from their families in boarding schools where they were banned from speaking their language or from wearing their traditional clothing. And the Bible was used to justify the programs we now see as cruel and unjust. She writes, It's time for us as a collective to acknowledge what's been done to Native peoples at the hand of the church. As long as the church only wants what is white in me and not what is native in me, there's still more work to be done. So I light my tobacco, my sage, and sweet grass, and I pray. I pray, thank you, great Father, Creator, great Spirit. Slowly but surely, I find my way back. Slowly but surely, I find a way to love. I hear in her words a way back to a primal landscape we all need to connect with. In our own Judeo-Christian creation story from Genesis 2, we see God breathing the breath of life into a human being. And Adam, whom God created from the dirt, Adama in Hebrew, in other words, this Hebrew pun essentially says God formed the human from humus, the human from humus. And it's a contrast with the Genesis 1 creation story, if you go back and read that one, because there God summons things into being with God's voice from a lofty height through the agency of divine speech. But here in Genesis 2, it's more earthy and more intimate. Instead of the verb for create, we have the verb fashion, make a reminder that we are born of the same dust to which we will return and that there is this symbiotic relationship between the earth and the rivers and the garden and God is in the middle of it all, fashioning, forming, shaping, breathing. Robin Wall Kimmerer, who is a botanist and also Potawatomi author of Braiding Sweetgrass, she writes that recent research has shown the smell of humus exerts a physiological effect on humans, that breathing in the scent of Mother Earth stimulates the release of the hormone oxytocin, the same chemical that promotes bonding between mother and child, between lovers held in loving arms. No wonder we sing in response, she says. The Lord God formed the human from the topsoil of the fertile land and blew life's breath into their nostrils. We as God's creatures need to learn what has shaped us. What are the places and who are the people who have breathed life into you? Where are you from what is the particularity of your identity? And what is our common ground? And how do we connect with the shared calling to care for all of creation? In her book, An Altar in the World, Barbara Brown Taylor wrote that most of us 
spend so much time thinking about where we've been or where we're supposed to be going that we have a hard time recognizing where we actually are. And when someone asks us where we want to be in our lives, the last thing that occurs to us is to look down at our feet and say, here, I guess, since this is where I am. I am shaped, and you are shaped from those who went before us, like the four rivers. Some of them are known and identifiable, and some of them are not. Which brings me, maybe strangely, to watersheds. The U.S. Geological Survey defines a watershed as the area of the land where all the water that falls into and drains off of it goes to a common outlet. It can be small or large, Creeks, rivers, lakes, bays, oceans, and more than half of our bodies are made of water. So wherever we are in the world, we're living, breathing, walking participants in the watershed. And the waterways expand across the land like the veins in your hand with rivers and streams and springs and creeks that bring life and nourishment for all of God's living beings. Awareness of the watersheds on which we stand reminds us we are deeply connected to our neighbors, both upstream and downstream. And there's even nothing now, theologian Chad Myers calls it, watershed discipleship. That was a term I'd never heard of. And what he means to say is that we are in a watershed moment for saving God's creation. And as incarnational followers of Jesus, he says we need to include these bioregional faith practices in our lives, and discipleship involves not just our human relationships, but learning the life-sustaining ways of all of God's creation, that our Christian vocation of peacemaking and watershed awareness go hand in hand. Watershed discipleship. So I wonder what our Adam would say when asked, where are you from? The watershed of Eden? A place where four rivers come together that you can't find anymore? A place where God breathes life into nostrils after playing in the humus and humanity arises? A place where trees clap their hands? Where am I from? I can answer you with a city with an indigenous name, Cuyahoga Falls. Or I can tell you about the river winding its crooked way past where my father grew up before his own father died and they moved from the river estates. In my father's eulogy, my brother posed the question, if you were a river, what river would you be? And he said, most of us would probably choose a big river or an important river, or a wild and scenic river, but at the end of the day, perhaps we are more like my dad's beloved Cuyahoga, a small river, a twisted river, a river not always entirely sure of its course, a river sometimes prone to fire. That's the risk of growing up in a river town. You fall in love with the river that is, not the river as you think it should be. That my dad could find so much beauty in such a flawed and damaged river is one of the great enduring lessons of my life. When my dad fell in love with the Cuyahoga River in the 1940s, there were pipes of sewage flowing directly into it. 
When he taught us to love it in the 1970s, it was full of toxins. A poet once told us we must try to praise this mutilated world. And my dad most certainly did. Today, the river is cleaner than it has been in any of our lifetimes, and it's increasingly looking like the big concrete dam near where I grew up in Cuyahoga Falls will be coming down next year. And the natural cascading falls, the Native Americans called Copaca, will be restored. And that is something my dad would have loved to see. Where am I from? I could speak of scrambling down walks and cliffs to get to Mary Campbell's cave where Native Americans' artifacts have been found in abundance. I could tell you about the respect I was taught for wildflowers and herbs, for medicinal plants and indigenous wisdom, for the songs of birds and the footprints left by wildlife. I am from the banks of a crooked river that is sometimes turbulent and sometimes dammed to overflowing, a river that is cleaner and clearer now. I am from the middle Cuyahoga watershed, and I serve a church on the Doan Brook watershed, and I now live on the Cahoon Creek Frontal Lake Erie watershed. And in all these places, I feel a sense of place and connectedness and reciprocity and home. Where are you from? Not all rivers appear on a map. At the end of the Bible, in Revelation, we hear the words written by John of Patmos in his mystical vision of life's culmination in the kingdom of God. And it's a reminder that while we come from earthly places, our true home, our primal landscape is in the city of God, which is, once again, beside a river. Listen. Then the angel showed me the river of life-giving water, shining like crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb through the middle of the city's main street. And on each side of the river is the tree of life, which produces 12 crops of fruit, bearing its fruit each month. The tree's leaves are for the healing of the nations. May it be so. We thank you for listening to a worship episode from Fairmount Presbyterian Church. Revisit this podcast site weekly for new worship episodes. Have a beautiful and blessed day.